0: Yep. All right. Well, a very good morning to all of you. Let's take our Bibles, please, if you would be so kind, to turn to the book of 1 John. Once again, 1 John, chapter 2. I will begin reading at verse 18. As John has just finished uh, encouraging uh, believers, not to love the world or the things that are in the world, uh, because the world is passing away. Um, now, in with that thought in mind, he says these words, we'll read down through verse 25 to complete the section, Chap, uh, 1 John chapter 2, beginning at verse 18. Would you stand with me, please, if you're able, for the reading of God's holy word? Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge, I write to you, not because... You do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. God adds his blessing to the reading and hearing of his word. Please be seated. In an age that is filled with error, spiritual and social insanity, and the loud calls of many scoffers, you may at times find yourself uh, bewildered as to what is really true and what is not in the world and sometimes even among believers, uh, that can lead our thinking to not just you know what news story is right or wrong but even thinking about you know are we thinking about God straight or not uh, do we is what's being taught from the word, is that correct or not? And yes, uh, we can find confusion. Let us not arrogantly assume that we could never be deceived or confused. Our adversary is an angel of light. He's a deceiver. And guess what? He's smarter than you are. John knows this. But John also knows something else, and I think all of us here know this too, that Jesus is smarter and greater than the adversary. So here he finds yet another reason to write, as he says there in verse 18. Um, uh, so now uh, Antichrist have come, and he's really recognizing that it is it is time for them to, to pay attention. He's writing these things uh, so that we would be um, confident in the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ in spite of everything else that's going on. And more than just being confident of our knowledge, but being confident enough to live accordingly. And to walk mindfully, then, in the truth which you already know. Walk mindfully in the truth that you already know. Now, you may... um, If you're picking up on things, if you've got your antenna up with mine, you may... Uh, realize that I'm taking the thesis for this message right out of the heart of this particular section uh, in verse 21, where he, sa- he gives his reason to write there, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lies of the truth. Which when you look at it, you think, well, well then why are you writing? If We already know this, what's going on? So we're going to be looking at that uh, this morning. God willing, but really, this is about what you already know. John, the believers of John's day, just like the believers of our own day, are are flooded. Were flooded, are flooded, with teaching that just uh, is confusing. Go into any Christian bookstore and just go to the theology section, and it is. Uh, a hodgepodge mess. And most of it's not worth the paper it's printed on. Because people are just trying to find all kinds of touchy feely ways or even more thought thoughtful ways of trying to deal with their own perception of reality without being bound really by the by what God has already said. It is a tendency of all of us to want to seek out for something new. To look for some fresh way of of, of expressing ourselves and our beliefs, uh, to look for <clears throat> something uh, beyond the standard statements that are made uh, because, after all, we want to, we want to um, verify and affirm in our own hearts and minds that we have something that others don't. And really that is the situation that the believers of John's day were also dealing with. And we'll see that here in a little bit. But if you know that I got the thesis out of the middle of this, uh, those of you who've been around here a while know that uh, what I'm seeing in this passage is a development called a chiasm, chiastic development. Notice in the first phrase there, uh, the first part of verse uh, 18, um, we are in the last hour and then in verse 25 it ends up with uh, we are now uh, here's his promise of eternal life. You know if we're going to walk mindfully in the knowledge that we already know we need to uh, as the bookends of this section would indicate we need to walk with eternity in our minds. To walk with a. Uh, an air of expectancy and urgency that comes along with that. John was reminding uh, those believers and reminds us as well that the confusion of the present time should not derail us. But we need to have our eyes fixed upon eternity. Now, the phrase last hour uh, could be translated... Um, basically we 're in the final time it 's a it 's a rather broad classification, a rather broad phrase. It allows for a broad timeline it goes along with jesus own statement that no one knows the day or the hour when the Son of Man shall return of course there's we probably all of us at one point or another in our in our walk with Christ um, find some great deal of interest in the end times and thinking about Jesus' return and we can have our discussions and debates and all of that regarding which eschatological view we want to be proponents of. Okay, But the fact of the matter is is that these statements allow for pretty much all of those viewpoints as to how long it's going to be and when Christ is coming back because we're recognizing that First of all, Christ is coming back. That's, that's, you, that's the bottom line. Uh, you, get, you get off of that, and now you're into heresy. But the other views, we can have a difference of opinion. But this final time, this, this we are in this, and of course, he's, when was this stated? Remember, those of you who are here the first time around, the uh, first message, we talked about this being right towards the end of the first century after uh, after Christ, right around 90 AD. And it's been a long time since then. But that doesn't take away anything from this statement because of the generic nature of it. We're in that final period of time, uh, which the Lord, of course, is not bound by our sense of something coming quickly or, or going slowly. But this final time, this is going to be characteristic. And certainly as you look through church history, you can see that, yep, there have been uh, a lot of antichrists that have come and gone. Um, we're, we'll get to uh, antichrists and uh, what all that is all about in just a minute or two. But I want you to let's think a few more minutes about this concept of eternity. Particularly as we see it laid out for us here. When, well, in fact, before we uh, before we uh, dig into uh, what uh, verse eighteen is saying there, jump over to Matthew Matthew's Gospel, chapter twenty four. <clears throat> John has said. Um, you know, in the last days, um, we're in the last days. You've heard it said uh, that Antichrist is coming and so many have come. Where had they heard that before? Well, maybe right here. Matthew chapter 24, verses 4 and 5. Jesus answered them. They were on the Mount of Olives and the disciples were saying, Lord, when when is all this going to happen? When's all these, uh, the, the destruction of the temple and and uh, the destruction of Jerusalem, and so on. And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. So, there, Jesus himself, and there are other passages as well throughout the Gospels, where we see similar statements made. Uh, And we are to have a mindset that is fixed upon eternity, fixed upon the kingdom of heaven. And yet we need to recognize, we've been warned, that the prelude uh, to eternity is filled with a lot of confusion because of those who will come up, false Christs who will come up and say, hey, I'm the way, I'm the truth. I'm the life. I'm the one who's uh, God's uh, God's man, God's woman, uh, God's whatever uh, to the world. And there have been lots of those uh, throughout the centuries. And we continue to see those that claim to speak for God in his name as the one sent by him and yet are completely devoid of truth. So eternity, yes, we anticipate it. We look ahead for it, but recognize that there is some confusion because of sin and the pride of men. But I'm thankful that this part of the bookend, this first, this, this first verse, 18, is complemented by verse 25 when we read there that this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. In spite of the confusion that, that, that false Christ, that, that, that fallen men bring to the, bring to the table, there's absolute certainty when we, when we understand that eternity is, is realized with a promise. It is a certain promise. John chapter five, uh, the gospel of John chapter five, verse 24, Jesus is speaking there. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. And then in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. These are the certain promises that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we, when we recognize that and we, we are confident in his promise to us to keep us that He will never leave us nor forsake us, then when we look at eternity spreading out in front of us, in spite of the confusion, we can have joy and a certain expectancy, even in the midst of turmoil and confusion, because Jesus is returning, and He's promised an eternal home for Him. Beloved, we are living on the doorstep of eternity, and that ought to excite you, Because the, the that doorstep has a door there, and that door has a key. And who is the key of David? But the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the one who opens and no one shuts. He is the one upon whom all our hopes depend. And so as we walk with eternity in mind, with, with expectancy of, of Christ's, of the, the fulfillment of Christ's promises, let us be encouraged in the midst of struggles. And Paul, uh, John is writing to those who are no doubt looking around and thinking, what is going on? I mean, they were only, they were less than a hundred years after Jesus had returned to heaven and already the Christian church was was set upon by Heresies and divisions and strife. You'd think being that close to things that it would have taken a little longer, but no, um, men uh, are perverse and uh, determined to be so. And uh, even even when things are, I was talking with Karen this morning. I've been reading in Second Kings lately, and if you haven't read Second Kings lately, it's it's like a record that skips same story, king after king after king after king, particularly in Israel. He reigned two years, somebody murdered him, he did exactly what uh, his father Jeroboam did, only worse, he did this, he did not return from this, and so the Lord replaced him. Then the next guy comes along, well, he did not follow the Lord God, he didn't take away the high places, somebody murdered him, Uh, next in line, and it's like, it's like, it's, it's just, you read it through it, it's like, you people have to be the stupidest people ever. You keep doing the same stupid things over and over and over again with the same result, which is a definition of insanity. insanity. But you know what? Uh, We do the same thing. So we need to walk with a discerning mind, which is the next one, because those antichrists are there. This is not speaking of the Antichrist that's spoken of in Revelation. It's speaking of those that are, and it's very clear in the context here, those who were among the church and they went out. They were those that are that started off well but then ended up denying the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's uh, think about this now. We've got eternity in our minds. Now we need to walk with a discerning mind. And first of all, discerning who the enemies are. So where we read there in 18, you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many have come, and we know that it is the last hour. Now, uh, I think that John is likely referring to the heretics of his day. There were three prominent heresies that had arisen um, during that time. I've given you uh, them here with... (laughs) a very brief general definition of them in the notes. Uh, Docetism is the earliest one, from about mid-century. Came up with the idea that that Jesus is, is, because Jesus is God, he's just God, he cannot be human. So, uh, yes, that's not a typo. Uh, They considered the visible Jesus basically to be a hologram, of course not technologically created with a projector, but basically a divine projector, if you will, that he wasn't really human at all. He's just God, and it's kind of not quite an apparition. I mean, he could be touched and so on. You yeah, know, try to figure that one out. Like, the, You know, they're trying to avoid the mental gymnastics of two distinct persons in one, and in so doing, they go to greater absurdity, which is what men always do. Right? That's what we do. Um, we try to make God like us, and we end up with further foolishness. So, um, docetism was there. And You can see how that would be appealing to the, the, um, the pride, wouldn't it? Well, we just Jesus is God. So you, you people are trying to make him less of God. And that was kind of the motivation for it. But then on the other side, there were those uh, uh, that held a little bit later on, perhaps, perhaps in response to this, it came out of the, um, the party known as Judaizers who were trying to um, uh, make uh, any Christians become Jewish, basically, in order to fulfill all things, uh, which the church council... At um, Jerusalem, condemned, and Paul uh, spoke against very strongly as well. But um, the uh, Ebionites, uh, where this started, so it's called Ebionitism. That Jesus, this is the flip side. Jesus is human, therefore he can't be God. And this is we don't want to corrupt um, deity here. But he was, he was, uh, he was fully man, not pre-existent. So there's, he was, you know, made like us. Um, he, he got the Holy Spirit at his baptism, when the, but not before. So uh, there's that that was going on. Then there were, kind of later in the century, uh, moving on into the second century, were the Gnostics. Uh, the Gnostics, Gnosticism uh, comes from a Greek word, Gnosis, which has to do with knowledge, so these were folks that uh, prided themselves in having a deeper degree of knowledge about these, these things, about spiritual things, about heavenly things, uh, things that the, um, the rank-and-file muckety-mucks wouldn't, wouldn't have. Uh, you know, Paul's letter to the Galatians is slamming Gnosticism. So it's a great, uh, great uh, refutation of that uh, way of thinking. Uh, yeah, Jesus is neither God nor human. He's somewhere in between. They took his the, the phrase that he is the Word of God from John chapter 1, for example, and they go, yeah, he's the Logos. He's Logos. And they turned Logos from just being uh, the what I believe John intended was to say that he is the revelation of God. Um, he's the content of God shown there. Uh, they turned that into this metaphysical Something or other blob somewhere between God and man. It says, "Now he's not God. He's not man. He's the Logos." And it's like, okay, uh, you know, how do you refute something that somebody makes up out of thin air? Well, you, you know, you just kind of go back to the scriptures and say, "This is what it's really actually saying." But so, th- this is likely. These are these are ideas that arose within the church, and all of them, I believe. That it is safe to say that they all arose out of the pride of those who were trying to make sense of things in a way that they could grasp, that they could control, one way or the other, and trying to discern who they are. It sounds like there were there were quite a few. Uh, I'm using a. a there's a, a. This is a kind of in response to uh, what uh, we read about um, the true disciples here, which we're going to talk about in a second, but about abiding in him. Well, uh, I was thinking of the current war that's going on in the Ukraine. Um, There are Russian troops that are living in Ukraine right now, right? Because that's where they are. Um, But they're not residents, and they're not there necessarily to abide, they're there to occupy in the military sense of things. Um, so you get the picture here of the Antichrist are invading the church. They're seeking to occupy and, and, and control it for their own purposes. And we need to walk with discernment with that uh, to understand who those people are. When we look around us and we see those that claim to be Christians... They claim to speak for God, but they speak in a way that is contrary to the word of God. Then you've got a pretty good indication there that they uh, are anti-Christs. They are working in opposition to Jesus Christ. No matter how many times they invoke his name. So we need to be discerning. Because true disciples uh, abide. And we see that in verse 24 we have to discern who the enemies are who those antichrists are they're working in opposition to christ by the way uh, as i went through the definitions of those early heresies did you hear any similarities at all to any cults of modern day oh yeah there's nothing new under the sun we need to discern also who the disciples are. And disciples, as opposed to invading and occupying in that sense um, for the purposes of conquest, disciples do abide. And so in verse 24, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. As you, are, as you are bound together by his word, you will remain in him. The disciples are those that were taught by the eyewitness apostles who sat at Jesus' feet. They heard the faith that was once for all delivered unto the saints. They were not swayed by the claims of those who denied Jesus Christ as he revealed himself in his word and in his ministry. And so they could be seen for who they really were by the grace of God. These are days when we really cannot afford to just walk through life in blissful ignorance we need to be informing ourselves not just of political matters not just of social matters but of theological matters of what is going on because the attacks upon the truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ is continue to this day he has always been the pivotal character of human history both looking forward to him as the Messiah and looking back upon his ministry and and his claims. Every single heresy today, every single cult today has at its root somewhere a false, unbiblical view of Jesus Christ. It usually starts with questioning the authority of of the word of God and then it goes from there. You cast off the shackles of biblical godly authority and then you make up your own God. And that's what it is every time. Every time. So we need to be discerning. Because there are lots of people out there saying that they're claiming that they're speaking for God. They have their visions or they have their premonitions or they have their ideas or they've done their study or they've done this or that or the other. But they've done it without being bound by God's word and guided by his spirit, and they are ever learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. We'll come back to that in a little bit. All right, so as we walk mindfully in the truth that we already know, we're moving our way into the center of this, we we have a, a sense of expectancy about uh, God's promises coming about. We're not living just for this time, but for the time to come. We need to walk with discernment, paying attention, uh, discerning uh, who the followers of God are and who are not, discerning the times um, and walking wisely in them. A part of doing that uh, well It comes about as we walk in relationship with each other because to try to do this on our own is a a bit tricky because, uh, and as I look around here, I know there are some of you that uh, I know are, are avid readers and studiers, some more than others. That's not a criticism. I just know that that's the case. But so for those of you that are constantly reading and trying to discern, Um, let's say you read 20 books a year on any given set of subjects. How many books a year are published? Even if you read all 20 books and you read them carefully, how much of them did you really fully grasp and comprehend? And how much do you remember by the end of the year? So it's not just about being able to throw criteria in our head to to discern. That's great. But there's one of the purposes of coming together as a body is to encourage each other because you're reading that set of 20. I'm reading this set of 20. We're reading some other things. There might be some overlap, but we're able to iron sharpen iron. We're able to encourage each other in the faith. When we get discouraged, we're able to point out insights as the Spirit of God moves in our hearts, because of our circumstances, because of the things that I'm reading in God's Word and other places, because of the fellowship that I have, because of those experiences, I can bring something to the table that could help you who haven't had that same set of experiences, who haven't had the, the, the same bookshelf that you've been going through, so that we can come together and encourage each other and round out by the grace of God the knowledge that we have, and encourage each other in walking according to that knowledge. And that comes about because of the relationship that is ours in the body of Christ. So yes, we have an expectancy uh, in mind because we're thinking of eternity. We're, our, our minds are set to discern uh, what's happening and who's speaking around us. But we need to be walking with the same mind in relationship so that we are steadfast in our walk with Jesus Christ. And here we're looking at verses 19 and 23, as these go together. So in 19, it's describing those who went out, the Antichrists, those who were working in opposition to the truth of Jesus Christ. They went out. They were were part of the group uh, outwardly, but they really weren't of us, John is saying. This goes along with discerning who the enemies are. But... uh, I want you to think about this. this is kind of from the by looking at the opposite side, the other side of the coin here. The same mind. Our minds need to be such that um, we are, are driving forward, striving by the grace of God to put forth the same works, to have to be of one mind in our goals and our service for the king. Now. If you look here at verse 19, that wasn't happening with the Antichrist. If, if it had been, they would have continued. But they didn't. They, they left. Uh, turn over, if you will, to the book of Titus. In Titus chapter 1, verse 15, Paul has just told Titus he needs to rebuke false teachers, empty talkers, and deceivers. They have to be silenced. They're upsetting whole families for teaching, for shameful gain, what they ought not to teach. That's in verse 11. So in verse 15, we read this. To the pure, all things are pure. But to to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works they are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. What you see in this, uh, in this passage, as well as in 1 John, is that the relationship that we should have to encourage us to walk according to the truth, because of this error, that relationship is fractured, it's broken. And they could no longer walk together. And so division and strife came into the church. They had to, had to go out so that there could be peace. You know, we can declare all we want to about how much we believe in God. We've seen that already in this epistle of John's. This goes right along with the thoughts that James puts out uh, in James chapter two, and verse 26, where he says, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. people that left that demonstrated that the relationship was was not real and therefore had no value for upholding um, uh, 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 godliness within the body uh, those people um, had broken the relationship were not of the same mind I I really Love this statement here at the end of verse 19. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. That tells me, I, I, I think it's more, let me put it this way, it's more than just saying, well, that's how we know, you know, that they, they were not of us. Um, I think the statement actually is more intentional than that that it might become plain that they are not all of us, tells me, uh, in my mind, suggests about that the Lord is protecting his church. And when we talk about things like church discipline, you know, part of the reason for that, going back to the Old Testament and, and as it's laid out in the New Testament as well, there comes a time when those who are persistent in their willfulness must be put out of the church, must be put out of the body. For the sake of the body and to make it plain to all that they, in spite of whatever other claims they might have, that they are not really part of the body. And that really is, I believe, the Lord protecting his church. So we have a mind that uh, kind of is driving along the same works, the same service. We need to have that kind of mind together. But uh, verse twenty-three gives us the the positive side of this coin, um, a mind that not, is not just about doing the same works and avoiding those who are not doing so. But in verse twenty-three, we read, "Let no one who denies uh, that no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also." Uh, being of the same mind also, also uh, has to do with a mind that declares the same words, the same statements regarding our Lord, where the, the the false teachers, the Antichrist, those in opposition to Christ, were fragmenting relationships through confession of the truth. Relationships are cemented. They're brought together. Now, one of the key components of uh, the formation of any society or culture. Um, Mike and I have chatted about this in the past. Um, and we need to talk about it some more because this is fascinating. But uh, one of the key components of the establishment of any culture or society is the language that we use. Now... And that goes beyond just, you know, English or Swahili or Spanish or, or Hindi or whatever, though that is part of it. When the Lord divided the nations up and confused the tongues, people went off according to their language groups because they could understand each other. But even within, within a, a language, particularly when there's lots of people speaking it, like English, um we can have lots of different ideas about reality and we express them, you know, it becomes more regional. It becomes, uh, there are subcultures within the culture, right? And, And we get comfortable around those who talk about reality the same way that we do. When you get to churches, do you think there's any difference in the way Catholics talk about the Bible as opposed to Lutherans, as opposed to Presbyterians, as opposed to Baptists, as opposed to Methodists. You can go into, you can go into even faithful congregations within Protestantism and find there um, a whole different mindset about how you talk about God, church, sin, the Spirit, whatever. And you walk in and you go, these people, I understand them, they understand me. I think I'll I'll be here. If you don't understand what's going on and you're not talking the same language because you're not thinking that way and it's driven by thought and experiences and Mike can speak a whole lot better to that than I can, but nonetheless, what comes out of our mouths becomes the, the glue that holds us together in many, many respects. So here we see that put forward here very simply If you deny the Son, you don't have the Father. If you confess the Son, you have the Father. And as those who went out demonstrated, they they maybe said certain things about God and Jesus and sin and the church and everything else, but it became plain when they started confessing a Jesus Christ that was not the God of the Bible, that was not the Messiah that was put forward in the Scriptures, they demonstrated that they were not part of, of the group. You can only know the living God through Jesus, the Christ. John chapter 12 says, Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. This is the common confession of the redeemed. And when when this truth is stated, You can go into any other language group and if they're confessing these words, you have fellowship. Because your hearts are the same, you're declaring the same words. Well, I'm looking at the time and as much as I would like to get to the last two points, I'm not, Um, unless you wish to be here a long time. So I think we'll, we'll stop at this point But uh, see, I'm not going to give you a hint this time, though, on what the blanks are. So I'll let you study the rest of these and see if you can come up with it. Um, If you if you know how I tend to do notes and outlining, you'll you'll figure it out pretty fast. But to to recap, what where we're at so far? To mindfully walk, according to to John, for his reason to write, it's not. Is not so that you can acquire more knowledge to get something special that nobody else has, uh, but to walk mindfully with the, with the knowledge that you already possess with an air of expectancy and urgency, using that knowledge to exercise discernment regarding those who would presume to speak for the Lord Jesus Christ, and then, and then to uh, have a, a a, a unity of mind with those uh, both in deed and in word regarding who Jesus is and what he's called us to do. And we're just getting started because the last two is where it all really comes together. And uh, Lord willing, we'll take a look at this uh, next week as we continue to walk mindfully according to the truth that we already know. Let's pray our gracious God and Heavenly Father. Thank you for this passage that we have here that your servant, John the Apostle, penned to believers back around 90 AD. And we thank you that these words are just as pertinent, just as powerful for us today. For Lord, the confusion regarding you, regarding our Savior, is all around us to the point that many in the church are led astray by error. Lord, I pray that you would preserve us from that error, not because of our wisdom and strength and ability, but because by your grace, we hold fast to the word that has been delivered to us, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Help us to be eager, full of expectation that all things that you've promised both now and for eternity, will come to pass. Help us to walk with discernment regarding those who presume to speak for you and help us to have the same mind with those who are committed to the truth of Jesus Christ as he's revealed in the word. And Lord, then let us continue on to walk faithfully before you by your grace. We thank you, Lord, for your enabling of us. We know that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.